This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. The title of my message is, What Kind of a God? <clears throat> what Kind of a God? A.W. Tozer said that what we believe about God is the most important thing of note about us. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. It's not your hairstyle, it's not your job. It's not where you live, it's not your economic status, it's not your education, it's not... The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. What you believe about God changes the way you react to every situation that happens in your life. Two people going through the same exact circumstance can have dramatically different results depending upon what they believe about God. And during the process of their trial, they can have exactly the same kind of similar uh, circumstances come against them, but they can, they can wrestle with those things completely, entirely different based upon their faith. Faith doesn't, doesn't alleviate suffering. Faith inoculates you so that you can handle suffering in a different way. Faith gives you the ability to look at people. And when we look at how a person believes about now, in this story we're about to read, we're going to look at two people who believe in God. But one person has had experience with God, and the other one just believes in God. We see the response that they have to the circumstance in their life. Chapter 17, verse 7. 1 Kings 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, every time I read that, I've got to take a drink. I don't know why that happened. <clears throat> As she was going to get it, where am I at? I lost my way. As he called her and asked, would you, as she was going to get it, he called and, and bring me a piece of, uh, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in my jar and a little olive oil in my jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain in the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You have to excuse me, I've had a rough week. Wednesday, I didn't eat anything because I was preparing for a test at the doctor's office. So I didn't have anything. Then Wednesday night, went home and drank a jug of this stuff that the doctor gave me to cleanse, my, cleanse me. And so I was on the mug for until uh, about 3 in the morning. <clears throat> the bathroom. I was in the bathroom. Woke up the next morning to finish the rest of my jug and had a little bit of the sniffles. Then went in, had the doctor give me a colonoscopy. Thankfully, I'm okay, I guess. Came home immediately from that, then came to the church, actually, for an hour or two. Got the flu. And so, uh, then just was laid out in bed for the, for the weekend, you know, just really enjoyable. Uh, <clears throat> and... Uh, so I'm, my voice is struggling a little this morning. You can hear that, I'm, I'm sure. But it's still the word of the Lord, even if it's preached through a scratchy voice. Amen? It was a drought in the land, and really, Elijah knows all about it because he's the one who started the drought. He said, it will not rain, and it didn't. And the rain, Elijah was finding succor, hiding in amongst the... the uh, the wilderness by the brook, but the brook eventually dried up from the drought that was in the land and the famine that was in the land. It must have taken a while because it killed off all the, all the plants that were, they were using to, to eat, and so there was just really nothing for people to live off of. And Elijah, I'm sure, was complaining to God, hey, you know, it's getting a little thin down here, and he, he had to move on. Sometimes God uses hardship to move us on. Sometimes you won't step up to the next level until you realize that you need more for the next level. And so hardship that you're facing in your life has to be seen and grabbed a hold of as an opportunity to move to the next level. We sometimes will just whine and complain and expect that somehow this, this, this hardship it can't be of the Lord. It feels so uncomfortable. This can't be God, but it may be God giving you the right foot of fellowship. You know the right foot of fellowship? It's the one God keeps you moving with. Right? When you say, but I'd rather not, then God gives you a little boot in the butt. And He keeps moving you. The hardship that you face and that's what happens. So Elijah is provoked by this hardship, and he is sent. God gives him a word. Don't worry, I've, I've set you up. I have a widow who's going to take care of you. Could call this Elijah's sugar mama. <laughs> only, you know, God only knows what Elijah is thinking about, what this sugar mama is going to be like. He, I'm sure, has a vision of what she's going to be you know, have a wonderful estate for him to stay in, maybe quarters off to, for himself, and just have just 
huge financial resources to get them through the hard times of the drought until, you know, it starts to rain again. And God directs him to Zarephath, and as he walks in the gate, first person he runs into, behold, it's a widow. This must be the gal. She doesn't dress the way I would imagine a well-off widow would dress. And she's picking up sticks. Seems like a well-off widow would have somebody to pick her sticks up for her. And he's a little bit put off by this because this is the promise of God to him that she's going to be his supply. And so he plies her with a question. Would you give me a drink of water? She'll give him a drink of water. And while you're at it, could you go bake me some bread? Odd request, right? She says, basically, I can give you some water, but I have a plan, and the plan isn't good. You know, when, you have a, when you're hopeless and you have a plan for your life, the plan usually isn't very good. I'm picking these sticks up because I'm going to cook my last little bit of flour and my last little bit of oil. I'm going to make my last loaf of bread and I'm going to eat it with my son and then we're just going to lay down and die. Now, that's the picture of a hopeless plan. I mean, you know, it's not looking in the, job, in the yellow pages or in the classifieds for a, for a job. It's not looking for a way out. It's just like we're going to eat what we got in the pantry and then we're going to die. That's the end of your rope right there. I mean, if you were, some of, none of us in here are at that place, but if you have ever been there where you say, I'm just going to eat this and then I'm going to die, that's, that's, that's hopeless. Right? Hopeless. What kind of a God would say to a woman who's that destitute and that poor, give me your last loaf of bread? What kind of a God would ask for her last loaf? I bet you, Naomi, I bet you you see people who are almost at this level of poverty, don't you? In other, in the other, you would never ask them for a loaf of bread, for their last loaf of bread. They might be willing to give you some. You would never do it. I would never do it. I would, be, I would rather starve to death. What kind of a God would demand from this, from this widow in all her poverty to give me your last loaf of bread? But we start thinking about this. We remember the widow in the New Testament. I think it's Luke 22. Jesus is standing watching the people put their gifts into the offering. And he sees a woman drop in two pennies. And he says, oh, this woman has given more than everyone. Not because other people were cheaper than two pennies. 
but because God doesn't judge the offering by what you put in, but rather by what you keep out. In other words, for, and she was a widow too, something about widows. But, in, but the widow in Zarephath, for her to make the cake, the, the bread, for her to cook that up and give it to Elijah, that is all in. There's nothing left. That's all in. There's just nothing left from that. Right? But God always asks, to give, asks you to give more than you've got. Isn't that the truth? Years ago, we were in Cuba, driving down the road in a van, nice van, Mercedes van. Our church needs to get our Mercedes van. <clears throat> it was beautiful. Anyway, I was sitting in there, and we had been from church to church and visiting with pastors, and I think we had taught a seminar for pastors that day, and I was pretty tired. I was up talking, and it was exhausting for me to speak a little and shut up. Shutting up is a hard part for me. And then, you know, the interpreter would speak, and then I would talk a little, and then I would have to shut up, and then, and then you know, just doing that was <clears throat> exhausting for me, and I'm not used to that. Visited a few more pastors, had some fruit with another couple and his wife. Anyway, in a, I was kind of nodding off. I put my head against the window and we were driving down one of those Cuban roads that can only be in Cuba. And uh, my head is bouncing against the glass. And I was praying, God, why am I here? What am I doing? What do you want me to do? What do you want from me? Oh, be careful when you ask God that question. Be careful when you ask God that question. And so I said, God, what, 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 do you, what do you want from me? And he spoke. Now I'll never forget there. I could look out of the corner of my eye and see the rice fields that we were driving through as, as we were going there. And he spoke to me crystal clear. I want you to buy this next church that you're going to. So I began to remind God that we are a poor church here back in Berwyn and we are buying our own church here. We are, we are we're paying for, we have a mortgage here, you know, and we don't really, and God then said to me, oh, I, I don't mean the church, I mean you personally. And I said, God, I think you have me confused with Joel Osteen or some of these others guys. <laughs> No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But <clears throat> I did say, God, I think you have me confused with somebody else. Turns out this church was orange. Pretty hard to miss the orange one. In Cuba, there was revival a few years ago, and the revival was so great that people were being healed dramatically throughout the land. So powerful was the revival that people began to line up outside this, the, the doors of the church buildings. And they would crowd in the streets so much that it was causing havoc in the streets. And because people were going in sick and coming out healed, 
And because that was happening in the churches, revival was happening in the neighborhoods, and people were filling the streets all around the churches. And so they, they wanted to line up to get in there and get, get a little something from the Lord, you know. And finally, the, the, the communist uh, uh, rulers there had had enough. They said, you can't do this anymore. You can't block the streets. You can't do this. You, if you're going to worship like this, you have to worship in your own homes. Never before had they given people permission to worship in their own homes. The men from the Assemblies of God got together and they approached the government and they said, can you put that in writing for us? Because that's what you need with the communist government. Can you put that in writing that it's okay for us to worship in our own homes? Well, yes. They can't. So they did. So all those people who are flocking in now, now they attend house churches. I visited several of them. In a living room, they can fit 50 or 60 people. It's amazing what, how they can squeeze. Cubans, granted, are smaller than me, but you probably couldn't fit 50 of me in there. But there was a, there was a lot of people in those, preached in a couple of those, those houses, house churches. Amazing what God was doing there. Anyway, we round the corner and come up to this house and there is this house. Orange house. Hard to miss the orange one. Pull up in front, park along the road, walk in. The fellow who's got the house up for sale opens the door and we're walking in. And uh, it's nicely appointed on the inside for Cuba. And I walk through it, and the Lord just says, this is the one. Yep, this is the one. I walk out the back door. They've got a big pig out there. In Cuba, if you, you don't eat beef because all the beef belongs to the government. And so, if, in fact, if you hit a cow that's crossing the road and kill a cow, then you can go to jail for eight years because you've destroyed government property. Yeah. So, um, so they don't have beef, but they eat a lot of pork because that's kind of what they're left to. And you can grow a pig in the yard out of garbage. You know, that's, that's how it works. So there was a pig and some chickens in the backyard, as I recall. A little bit of garbage was back there, too. And I said, okay, Lord. So I heard the negotiations going on in the kitchen in Spanish. I don't... Abla. So I was just kind of looking to see if there were smiles or no smiles, you know, how you are when you don't know the language. And they came back and told me the figure, and I said, well, I realized that I had about half of that. And then I thought that there was no way. No way we could reach that. By we, I mean me and Jesus and my wife. But the Lord said, go ahead. I said, okay, we're in. Now, I haven't told my mother that I have invested in a piece of property in Cuba and then given the deed to someone else. Because <clears throat> she would think I'm nuts. 
But when God asks you to stretch yourself, you have to stretch yourself. You know, sometimes you can reach your arm out so far, right? But then if you really had to stretch, you could probably get another couple inches out of it, right? Like, just really reach your arm out a little further. And I bet you'd get another inch past that if you really stretch it out, you know. Because that's what God's doing every day in our lives. Every day God is pushing us to the point of discomfort to cause our faith to grow. And the only way that can happen is if he stretches us out. Sometimes it happens in the face of hardship. It's, it's amazing. Sometimes it happens in the face of hardship, but when you, when you just can't... I remember reading a story of a young youth pastor who was out for a hike with his dog in the mountains in the Rockies. They were hiking, and as he stepped on a boulder, the boulder shifted and trapped his leg, pinned his leg up there. He, was, he had gone off the path that he, he had deviated from the path that he said he was going to be on. He was several miles from where he had told everyone he was going to be. And his leg was pinned in there by, the, by that rock. He was there for days. His dog stayed with him the whole time. He had a water bottle and he unraveled some string from his clothes and he tried to throw the, the water bottle to a stream that was not too far from him to get water. Eventually, he couldn't drink that, couldn't get that. Eventually, the string snapped. He succumbed to drinking his own urine, and eventually died out there. I remember thinking to myself, I wonder how long, how much he tried to stretch out for that, that thing that would give him life. I wonder if we, if we knew faith was going to bring us life, if we would stretch out further than we kind of half-heartedly reach for something. You know how when your kids, when you tell your kids, can you reach up and grab that for me? Ah, oh, they don't want to get up, you know, they're busy watching a show or something. I can't reach that. But if you knew if it was something for them, they could get that in a heartbeat, Right? I think sometimes we half-heartedly throw God excuses. So the widow Zarephath is there, and she decides, sure, what the heck? You've totally wrecked my plan. I was going to die tomorrow, but today I'll die early. Right? I'll die early. I'll, I'll cook you up a bread, some bread. And Elijah says, because of this, the flour and the oil will never run out. And immediately from heaven, a semi-truck full of flour pulls up behind her house, followed by another semi with oil, and they just park right back there. <coughs> no, that's not how it happened. Why didn't it happen like that? Because that's not how God works. 
You're not going to run out. But you're going to have to go to the jar every day. Because God isn't about a one moment of faith. We've all had those one moments of faith, right? Where we're just, I got to, I got to, I, I just, I, I believe, Lord, you know, I, we can do it. And then you fall flat. God is about everyday faith. Every day, she would have to walk to the jar, scoop out, amazed, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe it got old after a while, but amazed. Ben, you've, you've had some hard winters. I remember, I remember you saying to me one time, I don't, I don't even know how we made it through the winter. But somehow, we made it through the winter. Right? Sometimes it's just, the jar should be empty, but there's just enough for today in the jar. Now, so she would scoop it out and make herself a little bread and some for her son and some for the prophet, and, and they, would, they would eat together the bread and the water, this all in the midst of famine and drought while people around them are suffering and going through difficulty. And, and then the next day she would go there, and there it was again. Miraculous supply, and I'm sure that she was filled with thankfulness for, for that because God has been faithful to her once again. He's a God of His Word. The reality of it is, when He needs her, Elijah needs her, and she needs him. He needs someone to provide for her, and she needs someone to provide for her as well. They both have to work. They both have a, a role together in their relationship, in their, in their connection together. They both have to be those people that are connected together. Now, it's a big decision. Will I give him my last loaf of bread? When God asks you to do something, and He asks you to give, He's stretching your faith because that's all that God does. Stretch your faith, stretch your faith, stretch your faith, stretch your faith. Where your faith is at now, can you believe God for $1,000? Or maybe somebody else in here, I, I can believe God for 1000 but I can't believe God for $5,000. And God says, let's work on that. How do you work a muscle? You strain it. Push it through hardship to the point of strain. And then let it rest in that. But it was a good word this morning. Let us rest. I got all excited and curled up for a nap and then I realized it was spiritual they were talking about. God has something that He wants to teach us through this verse. What kind of a God, what kind of a God would ask that? What kind of a God puts us, see, immediately if God is doing that to me, then I, it's almost as if he's boasting that he knows so much more than I do. Right? Right? Like, I know what you need. I want this, God says, but this is what you need. I'm going to give you what you need. But I want this. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you what you need. And then he does it. 
But it's through hardship, through trial, through difficulty, through strain. And in all that, you have to, you have to keep on trusting Him. Not a, once in a, not, a, not a one moment of Christ at the altar. I know the walk that we have in salvation begins in one moment where we, one moment on one side of that moment we didn't believe, and then on the other side of that moment we suddenly had faith in God and we confessed, Lord, you are my Savior. And I get it, that's where salvation happens, but that's not the picture of entirety of salvation. Salvation then is rising up from that and walking every day in that, that faith. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We're asking God for a daily supply. We're, we're coming to Him daily with our, with our needs, with our hurts, with our, with our wants, with our desires, with our pains, with the trials that we go through in our life. It's not enough for me to believe on Saturday night, Sunday morning comes. And then Monday, God knows you need faith on Monday, doesn't He? And we just keep rising up. We just keep rising up. We just keep moving forward towards the thing that God has for us because He's asking us to stretch out a little further, a little further so we can define who we are. In defining who we are, we are discovering who He is. What kind of a God would do that? The kind of a God who knows more than you do. Whose ways are higher than your ways. The kind of a God who is with you in the midst of the storm. The kind of a God who never gives up on you. The kind of a God who can direct the steps of a crazy prophet man from the wilderness all the way to the gate of the city to meet up with a poorest and hopeless widow. The God who directs your steps. The God who organizes your life. The God who wound you up and drew you into the body of Christ here. That same God is organizing your steps and, and helping you along in your way. What kind of a God can do this? The kind of a God who, who gives us more than we could ask or imagine. Life abundant. What kind of a God? Last week we put down $300,000 against our mortgage here at the church. Sold the property in Cicero and took $300,000 and put it down against the property here to lower our, our mortgage. He's the kind of a God that provides like that. The kind of a God. See, when, when we were over in Cicero, I used to escape from there because you people can be a little bit too much. <laughs> and I would go get a sandwich and I would park right in front of this building, this abandoned church. And I would eat my lunch. Took me a few times before I actually saw the building. And I said to the Lord, if you give me this building, I'll preach the gospel here. 
stories long. A couple boards said, that church isn't ours. It's not something we want. But finally, one board walked through it and said, their price is decreasing each time. Yeah, let's take a shot at it. We gave them our best offer. Originally, they wanted $1.9 million for this building. Our offer was $514,000. I don't know if any of you are real estate people, but that's quite a bit of difference. And they said, we're going to sell it to somebody else, not you. <laughs> I had a meeting with the staff. I said, listen, if God doesn't want us to have the building, I'm totally okay with that. Sent them all home early that day. And then pitched a fit in my office. like a three-year-old. Literally took off a shoe and threw it at the wall. Because I was so sure that God wanted us to have this building. Isn't that amazing? So they said they wanted to sell it to a church that was Hispanic. They said, our church is Hispanic. Have you looked around at our church? Well, no, we didn't know anything about you, but we just know we sold it to Pastor Rodriguez. I go, his church is white. He's Hispanic. Anyway, I was angry. A few months later, they called and said, are you still interested in the building? Financing fell through for Pastor Rodriguez. I said, I don't know. Played hard to get. <laughs> I'm not sure. Let me call some people. So I called Pastor Rodriguez. I said, hey, bro, what's going on? Oh, man, they're keeping like $40,000 of our money because our financing fell through and he said, I said, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to jump in and, and poison the pot. He goes, no, we're done. He said, well, there's nothing more we can do. He said, in fact, I'll give you all the studies and the surveys we had done on the property for nothing just because so I can get it out of my office so I don't have to look at this failure. But if you can get me any of that $40,000 back, That'd be, that'd be great. So I called the, talked to the board, and then I called up the, the, the United Methodists who were selling it to us, and I said, good news, we'll buy the property from you. But you have to give Pastor Rodriguez his $40,000 back. Done and done. God's way of doing things is not our way of doing things. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, it's just not how, God does not do things the way we do things. He takes us along and says, I would never put my child through that. Right? 
There are times in your life as a child of God that you will think, this is pretty much child abuse. <laughs> right? I think I did this with both my boys, but I'm sure I did it with Matthew. He said he wanted to get faster in his, in skating. I said, well, good. I'll help you. So I start the car in the morning and put it in neutral. And I'd say, push me four blocks Just push me in the car. Sometimes I would tap the brakes. Well, you got to be safe. <laughs> to build up his leg muscles. That's why I was doing it. I'm sure the neighbors think I'm the most heinous parent in the world. They have no idea what we're doing. That we're trying to build that muscle up so that he can have more um, uh, uh, extra burst of speed so that as a defenseman he can crush whoever comes into his zone and catch him before they take a shot on the goal. That, that was the whole purpose. But to the neighbors, it looks like child abuse. Right? I think there were times when he didn't understand why we were doing it. He was sure glad when we reached the end of the couple blocks so when he could get in the car and go to school. There, there are times in your life when you are just pushing and pushing and pushing. You're like, what are you trying to do in my life, God? In the middle of hardship, in the middle of a drought and a famine, now go to the, now go to the poorest of the poor and tell her you want the last little thing that she has. My God, what kind of a God, God does that? It's the kind of a God who's more interested in building up your faith than your bank account. He's yes. more interested in building up your faith than is your reputation. He's more interested in building up your faith than anything else in your life. What kind of a God does that? Well, it's the same kind of a God who heals cancer. Who supplies what you need. Who gives, the, gives you the thing, not, not the way you think you should have them all the time. But He knows what you need. The Bible says He knows what you need before you ask. Well, why do we have to ask Him then? That's to keep you honest. Because he'll remain true. That's to keep you honest. What kind of a God do we, do we serve? And that's really the question. You, you and I are all going to face similar circumstances. Hardships and trials. The person who believes that... I mean, there are whole denominations of, of Christians who believe that God set created everything and set the world into place, and, and now he says, there I've created it all for you, do well. Love each other. Struggle along until the end. And then there are denominations like ours 
that believe that God created all the things that are around us, but He said, invite me in. Let me come in and answer your prayers. Let me mess with you. Let me, let me be a part of your life. Let me, let me invest myself. Let me display my glory through you. Even if you're an impoverished widow, God can display His glory through you. How many times do you think she had to say, Son, come on over and take a look at this. <laughs> I know, Mom, the jar's full of flour. No, just come on over and take a look. Come on, that was a testimony, right? Get up off the couch, turn off your Nintendo, come on over here, look in the jar, what do you see? I see flour. And the flower is the goodness of God. Right? And God has been what? Faithful. It all depends on how you believe. So how do you believe this morning? Do you believe God is a God who answers prayer and glorifies Himself in the itty-bitty things of your life? Doesn't alleviate all the suffering, doesn't alleviate all the pain, doesn't alleviate all the difficulties that you go through. But he puts something on the inside that allows you to be able to deal with that with an expectation that your life will be never the same. And half the pain is faith. You got two more minutes? Let me give you two more minutes. Half the pain is faith. See, if I don't believe in God and I am sick, I, I, when I was in the cancer ward and I sat with other people in there, there were some who didn't believe in God, although most people in the cancer ward were open to God. But there were some who didn't believe it. They, did not, they thought it was unfair. They, you know, they, we all had the similar experiences. Unfair. I don't deserve this. Blah, blah, blah. But those who had faith felt extra pain. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. Because their personal Heavenly Father was putting them through hardship. There's a faith, there's a pain that comes with the faith that people without faith don't face. Now, there's, there's pain that they have that we will never have because we don't have that hopelessness. We don't have the, I know that he who began a good work in me will finish it in the last day. I know that, that he is with me to the end. I know that no matter, that Emmanuel is God with us. I know all that stuff, but there, there's, there's a pain, <coughs> a pain that comes with faith. It's difficulty. And that's, that's okay. It's, it's good to understand that. Someone said this morning back in the, in the, on the worship team that there was a moment in time when they said to themselves, I don't want to believe anymore. But something on the inside said, but I still have to. There are times when we are pushed to our limit. And God wrings out the last little bit in us. Expect God's blessing after He does it. You say, it doesn't sound very organic. Except a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die. 
it will not bear much fruit. He must increase and I must decrease. This whole dying to self stuff, it's not going to sell money books. But it's life. What kind of a God do you believe in today? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.